today on Ag News Daily. My favorite part of the harvest is uh, is harvesting corn in the, in the fall. That uh, that to me makes it kind of worth the whole the whole trip all summer. And, Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, how you doing today? Uh, well, it's definitely been a dumpster fire of a day here for me, at least on this Thursday afternoon. Otherwise, uh, I guess can't complain. How about you, Mike? Well, I tell you what, the, uh, the skies are blue, the sun is out, and it's not broiling hot. So it's a nice change across much mm-hmm. of the Midwest here. Right now, today, I tell you what, it is an interesting time. Ashton, what headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Well, today I am looking out for the Missouri Department of Agriculture. They are setting up a new meat and poultry processing grant program. Director Christian says the $20 million in CARES Act funds will go directly to meat and poultry establishments with fewer than 200 employees. And he was quoted as saying custom exempt facilities can receive up to 20,000 maximum. State or federal inspected facilities can receive up to 100 thousand dollars and state or federal inspected facilities that also harvest livestock can receive up to two hundred thousand dollars maximum and chin says every part of the food system has been challenged during the COVID-19 pandemic and the funds will help smaller processors continue to meet the needs of producers and consumers and the grants will reimburse expenses for eligible new and existing meat and poultry processors incurred between March 1st and November 15th of this year and the deadline to apply is August 31st. Oh, August 31st. Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say August 31st was the deadline there, Ashton? Yes. All right. Yeah, check that out. Sorry, Delaney, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, too, we had, uh, you know, a big update yesterday with the release of USDA's meat probe, if you want to call it that. Um, as I reported yesterday, Undersecretary Ibach just spent earlier this week presenting in front of the House Ag Committee, and we've already seen the release of that report into, of course, those beef price margins spurred largely by the Tyson Holcomb fire plant. And so essentially, um, we're still kind of digesting, analyzing, etc. this report, but it really sounds like USDA found no wrongdoing and confirms the disruption of it confirms the disruption in the beef market was due to the devastating and unprecedented events and not so much due to market manipulation. So I think this is a little disappointing to folks in the beef industry. However, they did follow that up with recommendations that the USDA sent to Congress for improving cattle markets, including a to-do list that the department says it's already working to implement internally. And so some of those measures include the risk management agency's announcement that cattle and hog producers will now be eligible for premium subsidies. And so, I don't know, I really don't see the beef industry taking this one all that pleasant after them basically saying there was no market manipulation that went on. Well, so it's kind of interesting. And like I say, I'm in the same boat as you, Delaney. I think the same boat as a lot of folks outside D.C. where we're still processing this report. But there was an interesting note at the end of it where they said uh, the USDA in this report, do not they, they were not examining potential violations of the Packers and Stockyards Act. However, 
they did say that they're maintaining a cooperative relationship with the Department of Justice Antitrust Division, and they have discussed allegations of uh, anti-competitive practices within the meat industry, and uh, that if they do find a violation, they will send it over to the DOJ for prosecution. So I get the feeling that this report was kind of a fact-finding mission. Let's mm-hmm. look at the the scenario that surrounds beef packing, particularly around the Holcomb fire, particularly around the outbreak of COVID. And then now they're going to send it on to people who are going to analyze it, these facts that the report's put together for potential misdeeds. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. A lot of the uh, producer groups out there who have been really agitating for the government to take action are going to be disappointed. But I think overall, this is a sign that the markets are working correctly. When we lose slaughter capacity, we raise the number of cattle on the farm so the live price goes down. At the same time, we lose the amount of meat produced so retail prices go up and it's the market working like it's supposed to. So, I mean, we'll keep an eye on this thing going forward. I'm sure we're not done hearing about it. There will continue to be pressure from the countryside. And uh, we'll just have to see what shakes out of D.C. We certainly will. Ashton, what are you, what other headlines are you watching today? Well, I have a little bit of good news. Hopefully it'll make your dumpster fire of a day a little bit better, Delaney. But uh, new resources and $17,000 in grants from the American Farm Bureau Federation for Agriculture provide educators and parents with tools that can be adopted to traditional, virtual, and home classrooms to help students continue their ag education this fall and learn how their food is grown. And so it, it got me a little bit excited that they are trying to extend agriculture education to students who might be working virtually from home this year. And uh, they go on in the article to say how their money is going to get distributed and all that good stuff. So definitely my props to the American Farm Bureau Federation. So does it say, Ashton, will these courses be required for students or will it just be for those students interested in taking ag curriculum? Um, from, from my understanding, it's just students who are interested in taking their ag courses. Um, but the AFBF is awarding $17,000 to educators and communities through the mm-hmm. White Rain Heart Fund for Education Program in the fall, and 10 classrooms and community ag literacy projects across the country will receive $1,000 each of that to build on their own efforts. And uh, new this year is also they are rewarding White Rain Heart Resource Grants to provide funds for educators to purchase ag literacy resources from the Ag Foundation store. So I think they are going to give it out and let those folks do as they wish with it. Well, very neat. Yeah, that is fantastic. It's vital that people know what happens out in the countryside because what happens in the American countryside impacts the world. Notably, today it was announced that uh, China imported more than 400,000 metric tons of pork in June. That's according to the Chinese customs officials, that is up 128% from June a year ago. So huge increase in meat imports by China. From January to June, total Chinese pork imports are up 142.7%. So, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the Chinese sort of buying greed that's been happening on uh, 
in U.S. pork, and it's been global. They've been buying from everybody trying to fill this gap in protein created by the African swine fever virus. And uh, golly gosh, I mean, they are really soaking up a lot of pork on the global scene. Yeah, and I want to extend that news a little bit more. Um, the International Grains Council said on Thursday that we're continuing to see some inclement weather, especially in China, and they are expecting slightly lower than normal wheat and corn harvests internationally. They said this year we are going to see forecasts of total grains production cut by about 2.25 billion metric tons. And um, a large part of that they're acute or they're attributing to China's inclement weather or rain they've had a lot of flooding in a lot of parts of the country yeah. yeah and so they are now releasing estimates saying that hey you know what globally forecasts for grain production are going to be down pretty substantially interesting you know i've been kind of following the chinese floods off and on there was a scare oh gosh probably three weeks ago that perhaps their uh, their three gorges jam in china on the yangtze river might not be able to hold up with all of the flood water because this is a of, you know, once in a lifetime multi-generational flood event that's happening in China. And so, yeah, I mean, possibly it is increasing African swine fever outbreak, certainly going to impact corn and wheat production, probably impacting rice production. This thing could be a slow burning story that develops some bullishness for agriculture as we get through the rest of this growing season, Delaney. Good point. It certainly is. But I tell you what, that is all, I'm all out of news for today. What about you guys? I just have one other piece of news. I'm sure our listeners are aware of it. It is basically on every news channel, but it definitely has an impact in agriculture. And that is coronavirus continuing to spread. Announced today, the U.S. now has 4 million cases or has had 4 million cases of coronavirus since the first one, January 21st, 2020. So COVID continuing to be out there, continuing to uh, cause trouble in supply chains, in ethanol demand, and potentially in beef and pork demand at restaurants and or schools as we get into this fall. So, you know, even though we're kind of adjusting to life with COVID just being around us, could still have negative impacts on pricing going forward. All right. Well, speaking of price implications, why don't you uh, do a little quick recap for us today where the markets left off? You betcha. Well, we've got green in corn and soybeans, weakness in wheat as we continue to see a sell-off in that market. Looking at corn to kick things off, September contract up a quarter, really fought back, was trading both sides of unchanged, closed higher, up a quarter penny to finish at 327 and three quarters. December contract up three quarters of a cent, closed at 335 and a half. Over in soybeans, bullish moved the upside, August up seven and a quarter cents at 906 and a half. November up four and three Quarters closed today at nine hundred and a quarter. Excuse me, nine dollars and a quarter. What am I saying? Nine hundred pennies and a quarter. Anyway, in the wheat market, September Chicago down five cents, closed the day at five twenty-nine and a half. December down four and a half cents to finish at five thirty-five and a quarter. Looking over at livestock, ended up with mixed trade in the cattle complex. Live cattle lower. August contract down sixty-five cents at one hundred eight fifty. The October contract down a dollar twelve and a half to close at one oh. 460. Feeder cattle August contract actually moved to the upside slightly 50 cents higher at 142.02 half. September down 10 cents. Closed the day at 143.17 and a half. 
Over the lean hog market, that August contract up again, a dollar eighty-two and a half higher at fifty-four forty-seven half. October up ninety-five cents, close today at fifty-one oh two fifty. Can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Class three milk today, July contract up ten cents at twenty-four forty-two. The August down twenty-two cents, close the day at twenty-two fifty-four. Without further ado, let's kick it off to today's interview. On the show today, we have Stephanie Skinner of Skinner Harvesting out of Emporia, Kansas. And Stephanie, how are you doing this morning? I'm fine. Well, we are very fortunate to have you on the show. We've been trying to get somebody that's on a harvest run on, and I'm sure that you are very busy. So we really appreciate you coming on today. No worries. We'll make time. So I just want to kick things off by you giving us a little bit of an introduction about yourself as well as your husband, Dan, and how you got into custom harvesting. Um, well, I was going to let Dan do that, but uh, he's here, so I'm going to let Dan start with that. Morning. Good morning, Dan. Well, we <clears throat> I kind of got started harvesting, but... Uh, I'm just farming since I got out of high school in 79 and uh, I just never did uh, I never did grow my farming operation at home like I maybe wanted to and there's just kind of a fluke a friend of mine and me myself ended up going down to southern Oklahoma there one spring and we couldn't get any cross planted at home when we we uh, had a few wheat jobs down there around the Frederick Oklahoma area and we just uh started north and cut our way back up to like North Dakota that year and I just kept continuing on the other guys that they didn't last very long and so we've been at it for quite a while but it really wasn't any intentions it just kind of happened well it's definitely a tough job so I'm glad that you stuck with it um, and so what, what all are you guys harvesting? I know that you guys are on a tour right now. So what are you harvesting now and what else, what other crops are included in your runs? Well, right now we're cutting winter wheat out here in the, uh, well, just be out east of the Denver airport here in Colorado. And we've been, we, we harvested winter wheat in, uh, central Texas, Southwest Kansas. Now we're here. And here in uh, oh, here in another week or so, we're going to move up to uh, oh, just about central north central North Dakota, and we'll be working on. Uh, we might do some field peas up there. Uh, our biggest run deal up there will be Durham, which they make is a grain they use for pasta, and we'll do canola up in that up in that part of the country. Very interesting stuff. And I never grew up around crops. So it's really interesting to me that you all are a a harvesting company and you do all of these runs. So it's very interesting stuff. And so about how much time do you spend at each stop? And what does the process look like from when you get there to when you finish the harvest? Well, we generally go down to Texas somewhere between the 10th and the 20th of May. And, uh, We'll be down there till well the tenth. We'll be down there till the after the first week of June to the fifteenth of June down there, and then we uh, then we'll move maybe up to Oklahoma or usually up to Southwest Kansas, and you know we get up there the twentieth of June and stay there till well after the fourth of July, 
uh, move up here somewhere uh, all around the 10th of July, 15th, and then we're here till the generally till the first of August or a little better. A lot of our, our stops are all in that three week range, average a lot. And then we'll be in North Dakota up there till probably the middle of September at least. And then we'll go back down to uh, Northern South Dakota and Kansas. And then we'll do our, our fall harvest, we call it. And then we'll be doing corn, soybeans, and uh, sunflowers be the the major crops we do in the fall harvest. And we, we try to be home by Thanksgiving. That's our goal. Gotcha. So this is a pretty long process. And so does does this route change every year or do you pretty much have the same customer base year after year? Oh, we generally have the same customer base that all of our, our wheat harvest stops are for small grains or for one customer. And in the fall harvest, we have uh, we have three or four different farms that we work on. But uh, generally, it's it's pretty much the same. It's the same customers we've had for for several years. We got a lot of a lot of very good people that we work for. You have to have a pretty good crew when you're doing stuff like this. And so, how do you guys get employees to come out and actually work on the run with you guys? And has that changed due to COVID nineteen? We've seen a couple of agricultural companies, not just harvesting. Um, but their their employment has has changed due to the pandemic. And so have you guys seen anything happening on your end? Well, it was a little bit a little bit more of a struggle, I guess, this spring early. We were concerned about it. We had a we had a couple of of the boys come a little early, so we knew we had them here, but We've got two two long term employees that really help us out a lot. So we have to hire about four four others for for wheat harvest. But we really didn't have that much trouble this spring. We just got a we we got a couple of them in a little bit earlier. We also do some trucking too, and we kind of kept them busy doing that. And by the time we got ready to leave, we had everybody you know we had everybody there, and took off. And oh, I mean you know the different places they they were you know they uh. That stuff was kind of dying down a little bit when we went actually when we went to harvest. So it, it really didn't affect us that much. Well, good. That's that's something that I am very glad to hear that you haven't struggled at all really with that. Um, but one one other question that I do have is about hauling equipment. So you're you're going on these long stretches, traveling hundreds of miles from state to state. So how do you actually get your equipment from each stop? Well, we've got traders for for everything. I mean, we uh, we haul our combines on combine trailers, and then our tractor and grain cart is also hauled. And then we, uh, of course, we have service trucks and uh, fuel trailers, and uh, you know, in our our, our uh, trader houses that we stay in, which are us and our help live in. But uh, no, we move everything up and down the road. That takes two trips. Have to make two trips every place to, that we go, but uh, it uh, we've been uh, we've been doing this a long time, and it uh, just takes a little planning. But uh, it all it all seems to kind of work out.
What, what do you guys do in the off season? I know this harvest, it sounds like takes up quite a while from May to November, but uh, what, what do you guys do when you're not on the road? Well, in the, in the wintertime, my wife works in a, in a tax office full time from well, at least whenever we get home till the, well, the first of May or better. And uh, me and at least one of my other guys, uh, we, we haul a lot of feed commodities and fertilizer in the off season. We do that from when we get home till all oh, towards the middle of April. And uh, one of the other guys that works for us, sometimes he works in a truck shop in the wintertime too, and, and then gets out and helps us. And the other help we have, they usually go home. Most of them go home and do some other things. We have some new ones coming in the spring. Well, I do have one more question before I let you guys go. And it's a little bit more of a personal question. But uh, what is your favorite part of the harvest run? Oh, I guess my favorite my favorite part has always been ever since I've been a little kid. I've always liked I've always enjoyed fall harvest the best. And uh, my favorite part of the harvest is uh, is harvesting corn and in, uh, in the fall that uh that to me makes it kind of worth the whole, the whole trip all summer and the hot days and wheat harvest is fall, fall harvest when it kind of cools off and everything. That's, that's my favorite time of the year. And, oh, just any day that I'm out there with my wife and, and everything, we kind of put this deal together. I, I mean, this, this deal wouldn't happen without my wife. I'm going to, I'm going to assure you that she's, she's the one that, she's the one that keeps this thing together. Alrighty. Well, it's been a joy to talk to you both today. And I, I love hearing about these kinds of stories. And um, how, how can our listeners get in contact with you guys? Where can they find you at online? Uh, so our website's uh, skinnerharvesting.com. And uh, it's got our information and everything on there. Steph, my wife did a really good job of kind of putting that deal together. Well, Stephanie and Dan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again today. Well, I appreciate it. And I'll tell you what, uh, if you really want to do a better interview, you need to interview my wife. She, she'd probably be better. She, one of the boys came in here and she walked away out of this office we have in here. But I tell you what, I, I, you know, my wife is hard. She has the hardest job out here. I mean, she, she cooks meals for these guys and, you know, helps them with their laundry and, delivers all our meals to the field part does all the books and everything so i'll tell you what if you get a shot you, you need to give her a good interview she'd probably give you more information than i did so <laughs> well we will definitely try and do a follow-up here at the end yes. of August, maybe when things kind of slow yeah. down for you guys yeah. a little bit well thank you Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. Did you ever wonder why with relatively the same conditions, the fuel mileage of your vehicles and equipment varies from one tank full to the next? It all comes down to the fuel's density. The potential energy content of a gallon of gasoline or diesel fuel is within a government mandated range, or so it should be. Fuel density is a qualifier of the energy content in BTU that it has. 
lower or less dense fuel will still make the same engine power, but will require more of it to accomplish that. A fuel's density is the result of the crude oil used, the refining process, the additive package blended, and the temperature of it. Diesel fuel is especially sensitive to the temperature it is stored at. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles where steel and soil meet. Again, a big thank you to Dan and Stephanie Skinner for taking the morning to talk to me today. They are on a run in Colorado harvesting some wheat. And so I really appreciate talking to them. And it was a really great story to hear. It certainly was. Good job, Ashton. Good find there. I think uh, they just live such a fascinating life traveling and doing this wheat harvest. They sure do. And hopefully when their harvest is over come November, we will do a little bit of a follow-up with Stephanie and Dan. But until then, you can keep up with us on social media at Ag News Daily and listen along wherever you find your podcasts or on our website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.